So we continue through Paul's letter to the church there in Corinth. We come to chapter 3 this morning, and the first four chapters of this letter are devoted to dealing with the divisions that were such a threat to the work of the gospel there in Corinth. And we have seen Paul's tactic for exposing the first of two foundational mistakes that his opponents were making. They were in danger of rejecting the gospel and the message of the cross in favor of human wisdom. And uh, now Paul turns to their second mistake as he begins to show uh, how they have misunderstood the unique nature of the church and its leadership. The root problem is still the same. They were relying on human wisdom rather than the message of Christ crucified. They were adopting the, the cultural norms. They were adopting the cultural norms of their own situation there in Corinth and seeking to apply those to the church there in Corinth. And we see the same thing happening today where we, we look and say, you know, what works in building a church? What works in building a business? And we get the wrong idea that the church must function like a business, not realizing that the church is a living organism whose purpose is the glory of God, whose purpose is the propagation of the gospel. And we, we, we must never look outside the word of God. We must never look outside the true fact of Christ crucified and risen from the dead to try to do anything within the church because it will not work as it was not working there in uh, the church in Corinth. And uh, in chapter 3, Paul's tactic is to expose the immaturity and the worldliness that was, that was uh, of such a view as this. In chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 4. And I, brothers, was not able to speak to you as spiritual men, but as to fleshly men, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are still not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when says, one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? The very people who were setting themselves up as being uh, spiritual were showing that they were still only, they, they were babes. Now, let me point out something here to you that, that has been a misunderstanding. The Bible nowhere refers to a young Christian as a babe in Christ. We do that, but the Bible doesn't do that. When Paul calls them uh, infants in Christ, he's not saying they're young believers because they're not young believers. These are men and women that have sat under the preaching of Paul. They've sat under the preaching of Apollos. They've sat under the preaching of Peter. Paul is calling them infants in the fact that they are immature. He said, you need to grow up. He said, you, you, he said, I can't feed you solid food. I can't feed you the deep things of God, of the Word of God. He said, I keep having to teach you the elementary things because that's all you're able to 
uh, to take. And so Paul says that, uh, but these very same people were setting themselves up as being these super spiritual people. One of the problems in the church in Corinth was this. As God had distributed to each one the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, which every one of us has a gift. Some have more of the Spirit. When you are born again, you receive a gift of the Spirit. Whatever He calls you to do and gives you the ability to do. But in Corinth, there were some who were saying, well, I have this gift, so I must be more spiritual than you are. And Paul was telling them, he says, you're acting like infants in doing this. Two phrases sum them up. He says they are infants in Christ. And in verse 3, he says they are still in the flesh. He said you're acting like you're not even saved. Now we know that they were because Paul calls them brothers. But they, they were certainly spiritual in the sense that they are saved, but their behavior is totally inconsistent with who they are in Christ. Listen, folks, one of the most damaging things you will ever find to a church are those who walk according to the flesh when they ought to be walking according to the Spirit. Those who have been... You know, there's another place that Paul says, you know, some of you... He said, you have been sitting under the teaching, you have been sitting under the preaching for so long a time. He said, you ought to be teachers yourselves by now. He said, but you're not. He said, you're still needing to be fed because you're not growing up. And, and this was the problem there in Corinth. Their mistake is to see the gift of the Spirit as leading to an elite status for some. And from this comes their jealousies, comes their quarrelings, the evidence of their worldly condition. Listen, Satan has a tactic. And you know one of the best ways to bring down your enemy? Is to get somebody on the inside and work your way out. And the world in this creeps into the church when worldliness comes in and there's jealousy and strife among so, who, some who stand and say, you know what, I'm the pastor. You can't talk to me that way. I watched a video the other day of this pastor and, and he was irate and he was just going over that congregation. He said, do you know who I am? I'm the man of God. You don't question what I do. You don't question what I say. Listen, if I ever act like that, please kick me right out the door. But that's what they were doing in Corinth. Same thing. Worldliness had come in. And they had become this. They, they thought they had this elite status within the church. And Paul says, you know what? He says, you're not ready for solid food. It is possible for true believers to be stunted in their spiritual development. One of the things that they were doing is they were turning to worldly wisdom. They were turning to the cultures. To, to the culture outside and said, well, let's look what they're doing and see how it will work in here. I'll tell you how it will work in here. It won't. Now, it may look, it may produce results, but it's not going to be the results we want. It's not going to be the results we need. And this is what was going on there in Corinth. There was plenty of activity <coughs> and exercise of the spiritual gifts, but the church was characterized by childishness. You know, Jesus said, except you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, there's a difference of being childlike and being childish. And if you see a young child, and they're unable to do anything for themselves, they can't eat by themselves, they can't 
uh, walk by themselves. They, they can't do anything by themselves. They need help to do it. And we look and say, okay, we understand that. But when you see an adult that is still in the same capacity as that of a child, you know there's a problem. There's something wrong. And this is what Paul says. He's, he's telling these believers there in Corinth. He's saying, look, he said, I can't speak to you like spiritual men. He said, because you're not acting like it. You don't even know what that is. He says, you, you're acting like childish people. Uh, you know, arrested development is a sign that something is seriously wrong. And we can never be content with childishness. And the, uh, this childishness was synonymous with the worldliness and the fleshly living that they were doing. This is something that you and I, we must constantly be on guard about in our own individual Christian lives and in the lives of our church. We have to be constantly on guard against allowing worldliness to come in, against allowing childish jealousies and contentions to take a hold of us. They had drifted back into their old way of living. And Paul says, this won't work. You can't do this. The evidence of this was their elevation of favorite teachers to an exalted position. Verse 4. For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. He says, are you not mere men? They were adopting the world's lifestyle. Where they looked at, and they said that certain people in the church... You know, the, the, they had some who were saying, well, I think that, that, that Paul needs to be our pastor. He's the better preacher. And said, so, well, I like Apollos better. I think he ought to be our preacher. So they were divided over this. And Paul and Apollos are standing over here saying, what's wrong with you people? They, 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 they quoted R.C. Sproul in his voice and said, what's wrong with you people? When they did, y'all didn't get that joke, did you? Anyway, I'll move along. Paul's point is that the worldliness illustrates that they have not yet come to grips and they had forgotten the main thing. Remember what the main thing is, the message of the cross, the message of the cross. They were not able to learn anything new because the fundamental lesson had been forgotten. They had gotten away from the message of the cross. You know what the message of the cross is? The message of the cross is not just that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. The message of the cross includes the fact that when I believe it, I died. I no longer live. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I died. I died because of it. Now folks, let me ask you, what influence does a dead person have? None. What power, what, what uh, authority does a dead person have? None. And Paul says you've gotten away from remembering that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that you believe the message of the cross, and in believing the message of the cross, you died. You died to yourself. You died to sin. You died to the world. To bow before a crucified Savior is to acknowledge one's wretchedness and our need. Nothing. You know, you've heard me say this. One of the greatest hymns you will find ever has one line in it that I think is the greatest line that's ever been written in a song in the history of the world. 
Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I have nothing. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's it. And Paul says you need to remember this, that, that the message of the cross spells the end of all human pride, all self-seeking. And therefore, it's the end of jealousies and quarrelings and divisions among you. This is the first lesson in the school of spiritual maturity. That I am nothing. That Christ is everything. Of course, mature Christians will not always agree about everything. But the way in which we handle our differences reveals the level of our spiritual maturity. That's Paul's point. Look at verse 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. The spirituality of the cross models servanthood. Listen, do you know that in the Bible, in relation to the church, you will never find the word leader. You will always find the word slave or servant. Paul continues to build his argument on the example of Christ crucified. The church is a divine activity, but it's made up of the citizens of heaven. And while on earth, we are called to live here and walk by faith. And understand that uh, th their maturity is, uh, is seen in their belief in God's promises, their obedience to God's commands, and their focus on the future reward. Paul says, look, he said, don't you understand? He said, you're all up in the air about who's who in the church, about who has authority here and who has authority there. By the way, can I tell you something? Do you know how much authority I have in this church? None. This is the only one that has authority in this church. And Paul says, you're all upset. You're all up in the air. This person, well, Paul's this and Apollos is that and Peter is this. And Paul says, look, your spiritual maturity will be seen in your belief in God's promises when he says, I will build my church. Isn't that what he says right there? One waters, one plants, one waters, but who gives the increase? God does. God is the one who gives the increase. Their obedience to God's command. We are commanded to go and we are to present, to, to, to proclaim the gospel, the message of the cross to every uh, creature in the world. And inside the church, we are called to love one another. We are called to serve one another. We are told to encourage one another. And the church in Corinth wasn't doing this. Now listen, do you know that from chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book, Paul is going to confront the church in Corinth with one sin after another. And you know what the reason was? Do you know what the reason was that this church had such a problem with, with sin internally, with problems internally? Because they left the message of the cross. As long as we keep the message of the cross at the forefront... 
that we recognize that Christ is the head of his church, that Christ has authority in his church, that Christ is the reason that we're here. Once the cross becomes an unacceptable message, then the focus will be on the present. The focus will be on people. And once the focus is on the present, rivalries will inevitably arise between different people within the church. So listen, I will tell you this. Satan comes to attack the church. And one of the ways that he wants to attack the church is he wants you to attack me. He wants me to attack you. He wants all of us to attack one another. Did you see how so-and-so was dressed this morning? And you go around telling everybody about it. You know, I tried to shake old so-and-so's hand this morning. He just walked right by me. He, wouldn't even, he didn't even speak to me. You know, I think the preacher preaches too long. I don't think the preacher preaches long enough. I think the, preacher, the preacher's message is too harsh. Well, I don't think it's harsh enough. You see, it goes on and on and on. And this is what Satan tries to do. But here's the problem with that. The only way that that will work is when we become worldly and fleshly and self-centered. And this was what was happening there in Corinth. Once the focus is on the present rather than the future, looking forward to what God's going to do in the kingdom of God, uh, the, the glories of his kingdom are to be demonstrated now. Listen, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when we will not meet together like this. You know why? Because we're going to meet together there. Now, you're not going to have to listen to me preach anymore. You'll probably get Paul then. <laughs> Maybe Jesus. But you see Paul's point? He's saying, don't look at what's going on here in the present. Look toward the future and walk by faith. And, and, and these people in Corinth, they were saying, look, we don't have any influential people in our church. And we need to do something to bring them in. We don't have enough people in our church. Let's see what tactic will work to bring people in. And Paul says, you're, you're, you're looking at worldly wisdom and how to do this. And I'll promise you, folks, as your pastor, I can, I can contact some people that will show us a business model on how to build a church. But I don't care. I'm not interested in their business model. And that's the attitude that we must have. We cannot allow this worldliness to come into the church. In, in verse 5, Paul says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. Paul says, look, who am I? Who is Apollos? He said, we're nothing but servants. And Paul attacks their wrong thinking by asserting that he and Paulus were nothing but servants. And servants must not become masters to be, to be worshipped and followed. And that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing there in the church. Human agencies, however gifted, must be kept in perspective. And Paul's points made in verse 6 when he says, I planted, Apollos watered. 
But God gave the increase. It is God who is doing the real work through His servants, for He is the only one who can give life to a seed. I can plant it. Tim can water it. But if there's any growth, it's going to have to come from God. He's the only one that can give life to it. Without that miracle, the planting and the watering are in vain. And if it were not for God's activity, there would be no church at all. There would be none. But we here, the chapel as the congregation here, this local church, we exist here. You know why? Because God said so. Do you know why we continue to exist? Because God said so. Now God doesn't care if we have a hundred or if we have ten. He says, as long as I say there'll be a church, there'll be a church. And if it were not for God's activity, you know, Psalm 127 and verse 1 says, Except Yahweh build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God builds the house, they labor in vain. We can work and we can work and we can work. And do all of these, but until God says, I'm going to do this, then nothing will matter anymore. And there should be no competitiveness between believers. You know, one of the most <clears throat> important lessons I ever learned as a pastor, I learned years and years ago from an older pastor. <clears throat> he told me, he said, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you two things. He said, anytime you take off and you're not going to be there, do your best to bring somebody in that's better than you to preaching. And I never understood that till years later. And he said, also understand this. He says, when God puts you somewhere, when it's time to go, God will move you. And he said, don't ever be afraid to bring somebody else in that's better than you. Don't be afraid that, that the church is going to want them more than they want you. He said, if that's what God wants, then good. You understand the point he was making? And that's the point Paul's making. He says, why are you lifting me and Apollos up? He said, we're just servants. We're nothing. We are not to be competitive. Believers are not to be rivals because... We're working for the same Lord. We're involved in the same project. The proclamation of the gospel. You know, John the Baptist said one of the most profound things you will ever find in the Bible. And it's often overlooked. You often read through this and you don't really catch what John said. John had disciples. And then Jesus comes along. And two of John's disciples come to him and they say, John, you know that guy you pointed out as the Savior of the world? Everybody's leaving and going to follow him. John, you're losing all your followers because they're all going to him. And John said, and this is something that every one of us must get deep in our hearts and our minds. John said, he must increase and I must decrease. And when you and I Bow the knee before Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That must be our, our thinking. He must increase. I have to decrease. 
It's not about me. It's not about anyone but him. And that was John's point. And Paul's making that point. These people in Corinth, they had forgotten this. God gives us all different tasks and different opportunities and all have distinctive gifts so that every piece of service matters. Listen, in God's church, the one that mops the floor is just as important as the one that stands and preaches the word. It must be done to the glory of God. As a matter of fact, the one who mops the floors can even be more spiritual than the one who preaches. If he's not, if the one, and they say, you know what, I'm doing this and I'm going to do a good job to the glory of God. And the one who stands in the pulpit says, I'm a preacher and I'm going to preach and I'm good and you need to listen to me. Then God says, I'm going to reward that one and I'm going to take yours away from you. And Paul talks about that. We're not to be compared and contrasted to one another. Paul says, for each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God's not going to judge one believer against another. God's not going to come to me and say, well, Bobby, you know, you're not as good a preacher as John MacArthur, so I'm going to you know, bless him a lot more than I'm going to bless you. He doesn't do that. Because Paul says we're all on the same level here. And God loves to reward his children. And his criteria is simply, you listen to this? God's criteria is simply faithfulness and obedience. That's it. Are you faithful? Are you being obedient? These in Corinth were not doing this. This is something that you and I can all aspire to and live by. Uh, we have diverse tasks according to our different gifts, but with one purpose and with rewards for every faithful servant. Later on in this chapter, Paul's going to talk about how <clears throat> there's no other foundation that can be laid but Christ. And how you build on that foundation. If you build on it with wood, hay, and stubble, you know what happens to wood, hay, and stubble when it goes through the fire of judgment? It's a puff of smoke. It's gone. He said, but there are some who build with precious stones and gold. And as gold goes through the fire, it burns all the dross and it comes out pure. So Paul says, look at your motivation. Look at what you're doing. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 139, that's my favorite psalm. And one of the things he says there, he says, God, you have searched me. You know me. You know me better than I know myself. You know my inner thinkings. You know what I'm going to say before I ever say it. And he says, Lord, because you know me, because you have chosen to love me, search me. Lord, what is, what, is my, what is my motivation? When I preach, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because I like to hear my voice over the speakers? Am I doing it because I enjoy you all looking up here at me? Am I doing it because I like people coming to me and saying, Hey, you're a good preacher, or whatever, slapping me on the back? Or am I doing it because I love the Word of God, I want to be faithful to God, and I want to see you grow spiritually. Why am I doing it? That's my motive. But God only knows that. And God knows why you do what you do in this chapel. He knows why each one of us, 
why we're here, what we're doing. And Paul says that we will be judged according to this and we will be judged according to our faithfulness and our obedience with what God has called us to. Verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Speaking on behalf of those who had served the church in Corinth, Paul says that they belong to God as his fellow workers. Now the emphasis is on laboring together, not alongside God, he's our Lord and Master, but alongside one another. Alongside each other, encouraging each other and loving each other and remembering that none of us is irreplaceable. None of us. The emphasis is on laboring alongside one another. We all belong to God, Paul says. Neither leaders nor members own the church. I have seen people in churches. I pastored a church one time that had Satan as a member. That wasn't his name in the church, but I'll tell you. We were going to do something and he stood up and said, I want to tell you something. I've been in this church since it was built and you're not going to do anything in here unless I say so. And everybody listened to him. And Paul says, that's an infant in Christ. That's somebody that has no idea what it means to be in the church. We don't own the church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And to realize this is not to abdicate from the proper leadership, but to realize that the message of the cross requires servanthood. Servanthood as its fun, uh, foundational distinguishing mark. We are servants. You know, Tim and I, as the leadership in this church, our leadership is to be a servant leadership. Jesus said, whoever will be greatest among you all, let him be the servant of all. He said, you want to know who's greatest in the kingdom of God? One who serves everybody. Jesus himself said, I didn't even come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He is our example. He is our Lord. We are to follow him. And Jesus, and Paul is telling these believers in Corinth, he's saying, look, you have all problems in the church you're allowing sin to just run rampant throughout your church you have divisions in your church you have contentions in your church you have some who think they're somebody when they're not anybody you have those who think they're nobody when they are somebody and he said all of this happened because you forgot the central message of the cross christ crucified and risen from the dead and as a result we are the followers of Christ and servants. You know, I, I, I began using this LSB version of the Bible quite some time ago, and I love this version of the Bible. But you know, you, you won't find the word servant in there. They use a better word. They use a more accurate word. Slave. Slave. I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of yours. We are slaves of one another, but we are all ultimately slaves of Christ. Do you know what rights a slave has? None. Do you know that if the master comes to the slave and says, go do such and such, and the slave says, well, now wait a minute, I think I know a better way to do it. Probably the last thing that slave ever said, be rolling. 
Because the master doesn't care what the slave has to say. The, the master doesn't care what the slave's suggestions are or what the slave's wants and needs are. The point is, when we are called slaves of Christ, it means He is our Lord. And all He requires of us is one thing. Obey. Obey and be faithful. And Paul says, you people in Corinth, he says, you have forgotten that. Do we really know and believe that only God makes things grow? Lazarus lay in a grave for four days. Jesus said, roll the tongue. And Jesus called out and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And they said, Lazarus, you were dead. What made you come out of that grave? And he said, well, I just decided I was tired of being dead. Is that what he said? No. Do you know what made Lazarus come out of that grave? Nothing but the voice of the Son of God. The voice of life said, come forth, and death listened. Lazarus, the only part he played is he was dead. And you and I must understand that, that when God says, grow, it'll grow. And all the power of hell cannot stop it. Paul says, you keep watering. You keep planting. And let God bring the growth. Because he's the only one that can. He's the only one that can bring true growth. You know, I have, a, I have an aunt. I went over to her house couple of years ago and you know I love flowers and plants in the spring and the summer and all and she had these beautiful flowers growing in her front little garden right in front of her front porch I mean they I, they were just so pretty and I reached down to smell one and realized it was plastic <laughs> but you know we can do the same thing in the church we can grow plastic flowers we can grow plastic believers. They're not real. And the way that you grow plastic flowers is you go buy them and you put them in the ground and there they are. But the way that you grow real flowers is you put them in the ground, you water them, and then let God bring them up. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Father, God, as we come to you this morning, we thank you. Lord, we know that we are nothing without Christ. Without Him, we can do nothing. Forgive us for any time that we begin to think that it's about us. Father, forgive us when we forget, forget the message of the cross and that we are but servants and slaves. Lord, help us to love one another, to encourage one another, not to see one another as rivals, but as fellow workers. Father, help us to be faithful and obedient to what you've called us to do with whatever gift you have bestowed upon us, whether it be preaching or serving or loving or encouraging, whatever it is. Father, thank you that you have promised us 
That if we'll be faithful, Father, that, you'll be, that you will work through us. So, Father, we, we ask you now, God, I lift this church up to you. Lord, that you would grow this chapel as you see fit. And, Father, that we would be content to accept from you what you give. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take just a few moments before we come here to the Lord's table. And I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and take just a moment.